Welcome to Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today we take a look at two new films often running in local theaters. One starring Oscar-winning Texas actor Matthew McConaughey. He plays the real-life owner of a mining company and his crazy ride on Wall Street when he took the company public back in the 1990s. And the great Annette Bening is just about perfect in a terrific movie about a group of liberated women raising a teenage boy in the late 1970s, and it's called 20th Century Women. I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. This week we'll pair liquid gold with gold and celebrate the year of women as 20th Century Women highlights another film this year with great female performances and focus on two dynamic female vintners I met on my recent trip to Napa Valley. Remy Cohen with Cliff Lede in Stag's Leap and Ashley Anderson Bennett with Kane Winery on Spring Mountain. Wow, you've got some good wine to yeah, talk about we, today. Yeah, we both had some time out in, in Napa and I yeah. spent a few extra days and had just a really, really incredible experience with, with both of these ladies. So look forward to, to talking about them in a bit. But first, let's talk about Gold. Well, Gold is this Matthew McConaughey film. We've both seen it. Yes. Uh, so the other guy is Edgar Ramirez. Yes. And the wife of Matthew McConaughey is Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, who who I think is a great actress and Ron Howard's daughter. Yeah. By the way, is why is her middle name How or da- uh, Dallas? Um, because because she, she was, was conceived, conceived in, in Dallas. Dallas. Hey, Ron <laughs> Howard had a nice Ron. trip to the Big D. Uh, it's directed by Stephen Goggin, and he did Traffic, and he's done some really really good stuff. Uh, Syriana being uh, just an amazing film to me. I'm still trying to figure out. It's loosely based on this true story of the 1993 uh, what do we call it Brex mm-hmm. mining scandal, which was all over Wall Street at the time, and I faintly remember it. I wasn't really following it at the time. Uh, because before that, leading up to when the company went public, Matthew McConaughey plays this guy with a pot belly, a really weird attitude. He's kind of slimy. <laughs> he's a big slimy salesman. He's got a comb over. Really bad hair. <laughs> he's got he's got bad everything. He is bad everything. Yeah. But he's got this buddy who's uh, what, what do we call him? A geologist and and. Uh, and he wants to go and dig for gold in Indonesia, and right. and they do, and they discover it. And then um, the interesting thing about the film is once they discover gold, who owns that gold? Well, he thinks he owns it, but it's in Indonesia. Right. I'm I'm not sure they lawyered up very much <laughs> right before this whole thing, but you know, yeah. it went crazy on Wall Street. People made mega millions, probably into the billions, on it. Mm-hmm. Then it had a big collapse. And, uh, and then it's, and I don't want to give anything away. It's what happened to him and whether they got any money or not and what happened to his buddy. What do we know Edgar Ramirez from? Edgar Ramirez has been in a, a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. I remember him in Zero Dark Thirty. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was in that recent Point Break movie. Okay. The remake. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll let him slip by on that one because he's really good in it. He was, I think he was a bad guy in one of, in the Bourne Ultimatum. He played Che Guevara in the Steven Soderbergh right. series called Che, which That's is great. really great. Yes. He's, a, he's a Venezuelan actor. But so, what do you think about this film? I I I was really troubled by it. Yes, I I, th- I wanted to love it, and I didn't. And we didn't. <laughs> it's kind of a mess. It, it really. I think that's the biggest part of it. Is is it was a bit of a mess. A little bit hard to follow along to begin with. And and didn't it? I mean, I know that. 
wasn't it scheduled for an earlier release? Like, did it even come out? In it did. New York? It came out in. It did come out for Oscar consideration for one week, but it in one theater, and it probably and it didn't do anything. <laughs> well, I think people were really interested. They, they ran. They probably spent a lot of money on ad. Yeah, campaigns. their P and A was huge, but. That's just it, a bit of a mess. That I think says a, a lot about it. a film, though, that they're hiding it for a while, and then it finally comes out. And even the buzz when it came out was not good. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, hey, everybody's going to go. I mean, it's Stephen Goggin. I mean, he, he's done some really he's made good made really work. great films. And I think this is a really good-looking film, and I think it has a really good music score. And I didn't care about him at all. And I kind of cared about his wife. I, I cared about Bryce, Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. But but even all of that was kind of an odd, garish his whole life is kind of an odd, messy, really messy. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think that that's the big thing. It, he had a messy life, which then translated yeah. into what I felt was just a kind of messy film. Well, and then I see that problem, you know, I can watch movies, I can really admire movies with messy people, but the film doesn't have to be messy. Mm-hmm. It can be really good. Sure. Fact. It happens a lot. Bad guys are a lot of times more interesting than good guys. I'd I'm, say probably nine yeah. times out of ten. And I'm not sure he's a bad guy. I just, he's unethical. Yeah. And he didn't take care of anybody very well. And, and you know, karma is a weird thing. But mm-hmm. but at the same time, the narrative of the film, the story of the film is really muddled and kind of a messy mm-hmm. Film and so it's. I think Goggin didn't write it. Somebody, a couple other guys wrote it. But I, I, I found the narrative of the film really messy. And I don't think it's the worst movie of the year. And I don't think it belongs in a worst list. No, no, because there's but enough to watch. Certainly, I, I think that in the light of the rest of the films this year, I'm, I'm surprised that they would have thought it would have been a possible Oscar. Contender. Yeah. That's oh, I all. think they planned on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, no. I think the studio, when they were making this film, they were, they were going on. So interesting story is that originally this movie was going to be directed because a lot of movies go through their own metamorphosis of what finally ends up. But originally it was Michael Mann mm-hmm. who did heat and the insider and last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. And, and then it went to Spike Lee was going to make it. And originally they were going to make it with Christian Bale and Michelle Williams. Huh. That interests me, but I don't think the script was ever there. Right. I think both of these actors would read that and go, well, we got to try to make this work. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, whatever those stories are, and it is a work, it, it is a true story, but it's so loose that it almost plays like fiction. Mm-hmm. So, and, and finally, before we get to wine, I love Matthew McConaughey, but he's getting weird lately again. And I don't, I don't know what the deal is. He was so good in the Wolf of Wall Street in that small character. Yes. He won the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. But all of a sudden, this kind of weird, gangly, I'm going to do something shmarmy. really odd, schmarmy. Yeah. Schmarmy? Schmarmy? Yeah, that's my word. It's kind of getting old. I don't know what it is. I, you know, he, I think he looks great in a suit doing something cool. Go, go do your Lincoln hat. You know, but we've seen mud. Here. Yeah, wear yeah. your Lincoln hat. He was great in Lincoln. No, his Lincoln, his Lincoln car ads. Doesn't he do this? Well, or? they're getting weird. <laughs> I think the Lincoln car ads are be, kind of becoming a parody of itself. Yes. So anyway, that's just my, my little take on that. I love, uh, Bright, as we said, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who was making another Jurassic World movie because that, movie made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I think it was the second highest grossing movie of the year. And she was great in Pete's Dragon. And she goes, I love Pete's Dragon. Yes. I could have put Pete's Dragon in a best 20 list and I should have. But I think she is incredible in the help. Man, she's great she's in the help. mean. Isn't she? She's a mean woman. <laughs> and she's such a nice person. Yes. Uh, before we get to the wine. Yes. Uh, she's Bryce, never had a She's never alcohol. had. It's, it, 
I've read this about her. I've never talked to her about it, but I, I, if we ever see her, we'll ask her. Never had a sip of alcohol in her life, which brings us to the wine. So for I'm gold. sorry for Bryce Dallas Howard. She needs to to imbibe on in some delicious wine. So I thought, um, as I said, I, I wasn't a huge fan of of this particular yeah. film. So instead, I decided to pair with a wine I do love, um, which appropriately um, is known as America's Liquid Gold, and it's Dolce. It's it's created was crafted originally. Um, under the Farniente label um, by Gil Nickel. And, and really, um, Dolce is a betriotized sweet wine. So it's basically made by leaving ripe Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc grapes. It's, it's, sautern, it's America's Sauterne, yeah. essentially, which is crafted from Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc um, in the Bordeaux region. But um, Dolce is made in Napa. You leave the grapes on the vine, um, and during harvest season and until the the grapes are essentially quite raisined and they almost develop um kind of like a, a a mold on them it's called noble rot and uh that's kind of the 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 loose term for it and um and it it creates this highly concentrated very sweet but also very layered um Elixir, as as they liked, and I and I kind of say elixir as it's a funny way to say it, but that's kind mm. of the best way to to describe it. It's almost like I mean, it has almost the consistency maybe of an olive oil versus a wine. It's very rich. It's very um, it's it's very intense. It's very aromatic. Um, after you basically you harvest it late in the season, um, you press it to and and it's um, you get such a small amount of juice out of these grapes because they are essentially um, have have dried out a yeah. lot of that fruit. Um, age it in in French oak, and so you allow it to kind of take on some of those characteristics the the spice notes and the kind of vanilla notes that and 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 the caramel notes that oak gives to. To a wine that then meld with this these beautiful floral notes and and kind of citrus notes and though it is a sweet dessert wine it also maintains great acidity and I think that that really comes from where um, the the vineyards for for the wines that that go into create dolce are 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 located which is in Coombsville which is in one of the coolest parts of Napa Valley down in the south we've talked about some of the other vineyards down in Coombsville before italics being one that um, that we really love Roca has a vineyard down in in Coombsville um, covert has a vineyard down in Coombsville that that they it's it allows you to create um, uh, the coolness allows you to create wines that have great uh, texture and, and 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 flavor, but also great acidity. And so, um, you know, warm days, cool nights, everything that goes into creating both juicy wines as well as wines that stay nice and fresh with really great brightness. Um, so even though it's rich, it also has some really nice kind of freshness to it. So when you see that grape and it's starting to look raisiny mm-hmm. and it's got noble rot, mm-hmm. N-O-B-L, yeah. noble rot, or betriotized, oh, yes. And you've tasted those grapes? I have. I, I, I oh. haven't tasted them in Napa, but I've tasted them in Are they raisiny? That's, yeah. I mean, it really it is highly, highly concentrated. It just really concentrates that fruit. Which, Does it taste like a dessert off the vine? Or? Um, it, it, You know, the, it does taste, um, I think that as the wines will develop, the the flavors will intensify, but it is a sweeter grape. It's it's not as as telling. Say like I think that when you pick Gewurztraminer off the vine, ripe Gewurztraminer off the vine tastes to me exactly like Gewurztraminer in a bottle. And not all wines 
do that. Oh, not, I don't think most do. Not all wines translate right. um, so kind of uh, easily. Um, but it is definitely for for these um, betriotized grapes, it is definitely a sweeter, richer, um, uh, the, the texture um, comes across much, much more um, evident than in some just mm. normal still wines. Yeah, and there, I want to try one of those sometime. Yeah, well, and because the, you're eating some with a little rod on it. You do. It's basically you're. It's it. You look at some of these you, grapes, and they're you. yeah, they're not the most attractive grapes. They have kind of a they have a mold on the outside. Yeah, the mold is um, good, but the mold is good, and the mold is is gold because it's also very very expensive to to. Um, to produce this wine because you do have to ha- hand harvest this yeah. this fruit and you often have to go back through your vineyards several times to to you know maybe one bunch of grapes will be ready to pick but others won't and again it's later in the season and so you also just have to deal with with weather effects and as as you know fall rains usually come in winter rains frost all the things that eventually end up you know really enhancing the the layers of flavors in um in a, a betriotized wine but it's also not the best just conditions for Is there a little bit more leeway in the picking time um, no, I think that you still have you to, still have to yeah, you still have to be very focused on it. And and that's like I said, you you traditionally do have to go through your vineyards. Are you measuring times. bricks? You know, it's it's so interesting. I think that um no, because you you know that I mean the 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 grapes are ripe, so yeah. you you really winemakers that use bricks to to measure um their picking times, they you already know when the grapes are ripe, and so yeah. now it's just more of a of a waiting until they they develop into the flavors that that as a vineyard manager and as, as a winemaker you you agree to um end up being exactly what you're looking for hmm. which i think that'll be fun once we um kind of talk about 20th century women kind of talking more about some vineyards is going to be a little bit fun but. one of my favorite memories is um we were at farniente mm-hmm. and uh we were, and it's a release party it was their chardonnay release and party and we go over to the little ago. gazebo mm-hmm. and they have two large you know about the size of a nice carpet <laughs> Buckets, Bucket, of buckets of ice with like thirty bottles of Dolce. It, it's, and it's that stuff is not cheap. It's, it's very it's yeah. a very expensive product, but it's really worth it because of the effort and and the and it's such tiny production. You know they don't make a lot of it, but then they also don't. Um, but you you lose essentially so much juice because you are waiting for for the grapes to raise and you basically allow grapes that otherwise would go into making a very delicious still Simeon or Sauvignon Blanc you you allow it to um to to change yeah. and and sometimes winemakers that maybe because of of frost and because of of issues in the the vineyards like they are not able to they do develop some some botrytis on um on their grapes, and so sometimes they are forced to to make a betriotized wine because other otherwise they'd lose the crop altogether. But yeah. for Dolce, they they do this intentionally, which I also think is is kind of an interesting. So I think note. the point we're both making is that if you go to the movie theater to see gold, hide some Dolce in your in your, it, in they, your come, bag. they come in the smaller bottles <laughs> there, and yes. they're expensive, and you're and gonna dr- you're gonna drink better than the movie you're watching. Yes, very much so. And sneak that uh, that Dolce. <laughs> hey, when we come back on wine and film, a perfect pairing. Annette Benning plays an open minded out. Outspoken mom in 1979 Santa Barbara in a film called 20th Century Women, and we'll be right back. 
We are back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And our next film is a movie both of us really enjoyed, starring Annette Bening. She plays a 1979 liberated mom. She's raising a teenage son. She's a very open-minded woman with a lot to say and very little filter. Yeah, no filter. She's no filter. It's called, uh, of course, 20th Century Women. It's written and directed by Mike Mills. He did uh, a really terrific film a few years back called Beginners. And it's really partly based on his own childhood because he was raised by his mom and his sisters. And the impressive cast includes Elle Fanning, who's been really good in some other films. She's in Live By Night. Mm-hmm. She's an evangelist. Uh, Greta Gerwig, who uh, I was hoping get, would get maybe nominated for an Oscar for this. She did not. Billy Crudup, who is great in Jackie right now. Well, that's funny because yeah. Greta Gerwig and Billy Crudup were both in Jackie. They're both in Jackie. Yes. That's right. And the kid is played by a, a new actor called Lucas Jade Zuman. Uh, Annette Benning's been up for four Oscars um, or four Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. And just look at the Grifters, which I think is a great film and very disturbing. Bugsy, one of our favorites, an American president. American Beauty, she should have won the Oscar for that. Yes. Uh, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he did, but she did not. Uh, the kids are all right. You know, she's been married to Warren Beatty since 1992. They have four kids. I, The more I think about this film, the better it gets. And we've said this off and on with different movies during Oscar season. We won't say that a lot in the next, next. probably three yeah. months. <laughs> but this movie is really fascinating to me. And I, I, it was probably on the bubble to be a Best Picture nominee. Hmm. And Annette Benning did not get nominated. I bet she came in sixth. Mm-hmm. And who would you take out mm-hmm. and put in? I would... Would you take out Meryl Streep and put a net bending? I don't know. I'd think about that. They're both great. Mm-hmm. But she, and it's a really an ensemble film, but she's the centerpiece. And she's worried about the world. It's 1979. It's, you know, it's Kennedy. It's a feminist. Yeah. It's feminist and anything goes. But she's a really good mom and she's a strict mom. She's, in some ways, she's a strict mom. In other ways, she just looks at her son and says, look, if you're going through a lot of pain growing up, that's probably good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's a healthy Helps thing. <laughs> it's a healthy thing. Get over it. And uh-huh. there's all kinds of chaos going on in her home that has to do with sex and teenagers and kids and a painter and mm-hmm. romance and not romance, soup, not, not soup. soup. <laughs> you know, all Talk. kinds of things. But I'm I'm kind of invigorated by this film because it's a slice of life movie. It's not a beginning, middle, and end movie that ties everything neatly up in a bow. It's really about a time frame and a time period. These are hard movies to make. You've got to get the cars right. You've got to get the look of the film right. And it does. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, from what I remember of 1979, mm-hmm. um, it seems really accurate to me. And and the country was kind of divided like it is now. Mm-hmm. You had a real conservative element then, and then right. you had this completely liberated element. Right. And neither understood each other or even cared to understand mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. How good is she in this film? I think? think I thought I think that it's a really good cast. I think everyone came together really well. I think she is great, but I also really liked Elle Fanning. I think Greta Gerwig is a is a very interesting actress mm-hmm. that I every time I see her in something I'm always kind of interested to see what else she's going to do because she doesn't she's not like stereotypical Hollywood, I guess. She's a chameleon too. Yeah. Yes, she can. She kind of um morphs very easily into She looks different in her movies. Her, yes. Um but I I'm I'm anxious to kind of continue to see what what she does. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was a very uh, well done 
Um, you know, we were talking about gold earlier, and gold we can't say about that it's going to, the more I think about it, the better it gets. But these are two films that come out later in the year mm-hmm. or after the first year, but opened early for, for Oscar qualification. This is legit. This is the real deal. Kind of like silence is the real deal. Mm-hmm. But this is the real deal. So this begs a question that I was thinking about earlier. I've wor- in the workplace, not in the growing up, I grew up with a mother and father in the home, but mm-hmm. not everybody does. A lot of people grow up with single moms. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, although my dad was gone a lot, I feel like my mother kind of raised me more than anyone else, more than my father did, which I've been trying to translate into the workplace. I've worked for women a lot in newsrooms in mm-hmm. my life, more than men. And it's interesting. And so my question to you is, do, is it easier to work for women? Or is it easier to work for men? Or is it really genderless? It just depends on the person. I'm asking a generic question. I don't, yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I've worked for both. I, it seems that in my, <laughs> now thinking back, I, I've probably worked for women more than, than men in my, when I was in my TV days. Yeah. In fact, every, Every head that I, yeah, I mean, I was always working um, under a, a female boss, which I guess is kind of cool, um, especially in television. That's kind of a, that that definitely has changed. That's, I don't know that you could say that 30 years ago, but you say you worked for more women and you worked in TV. Your I think career. in the newsroom for me, and I I've, I noticed it a lot, even as, as time went on, because I was in a newsroom for 24 years, is that women, there were more female producers than male producers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of it was they had... Um, they had a different, they, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to generalize her, but the skill set was different. Um, they were better on computers. Uh, they were faster. They were quicker to make decisions. Well, I do think that women inherently have the ability to multitask um, maybe a little bit better than men because, I, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to generalize and I don't mean to alienate any of our, our male listeners, but I certainly, I mean, I do think that, that, I I know personally I have the ability to do ten things at one time and and often am and I think that a lot of that especially women who are mothers um, it's kind of because that's something that that you're constantly doing you know you have to be making dinner while you're watching your children right and you you always have to have your eye on one thing and I think um, though I don't have kids just I, I think about when we have when. When we when we're entertaining and we have people around our table, you know, I'm constantly as a, as a good hostess, you constantly look and make sure that everyone's enjoying your food. But if they need more wine, then you're up pouring or right. you know somebody's water glass is empty. Oh wait, the music's a little too loud. Oh wait, that candle just went out. That like, is you. You're constantly that. Well, I yeah, think because that that's is. the that's because I because I want to make somebody feel welcome and warm and right. and and comfortable at every moment that they're in my which home. is true in our home which and, is, but yeah. I, and I think that 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 some women but I I there are probably men out there you do a very you do a great job doing that too well, so. I, I was thinking about this because not only was I kind of you know I had a male influence uh, more intimidating than an influence uh, but my my stepmom who raised me was mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. and awesome. And, and, and then I had sisters and then I had daughters. You know, I've, I've, you've been around a I've lot grown, of women your whole So I've been life. around women a lot. And then in the workplace, I've had mostly women in mm-hmm. charge. And how is that goes back to the movie? How does that define me and who I am mm-hmm. and how I make decisions and how I do things? Well, and it's, I, I, 
I I think that it's interesting, and so I would yeah. like to to spend a little bit of time talking about these two women that I met in Napa yeah, because do I do think that um, you know you 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 never I never wanted to be looked at because or or get a job or or get a promotion or get anything because of of my sex, but. Um, it does kind of bring up the whole equal pay for equal work, and and I think that that's something that we still fight and yeah, we struggle and, with it. in our country today. And I'm you know nervous to see what the next four years will bring because I think that that it's very easy. And and you're right, I, I think that a lot of women do do the job of ten men, um, and and often make less money for it. And that's something that's that's very. Frustrating. I'm on your side. Um, yes, which then makes me very excited to meet two um, the two dynamic women that I met this past week when I was up in Napa. Um, we we've talked a lot about female uh, female winemakers and and celebrate so many of them um, that that we've grown to love over the years, but it's not as often to meet. Um, Female vineyard managers or, or women that that choose to to take on the work of the vineyard versus the work of the winery, um, and I think it's because we often kind of forget that it's hard work to to work in a vineyard. It's farming, and it's it is it is not fun. It is not glamorous. It is it is often um, you're you're often not. Um, you, you don't get all the praise. You don't get, you know, you don't get to go out and do the the consumer wine tastings and have people tell you how much they love you and how fantastic your wine is. You're the ones who. But we do, right? Well, yeah, and, and we but do. Yeah. the the vineyard managers are the ones that that stay at home and do the hard work and have to manage a crew and have to to make sure that that every single vine of of vineyard in their land is is properly maintained, and so to meet two women, um, the two women that I met this past week, it's it's great. So I kind of want to start um, with Ashley Anderson Bennett. She's a vineyard manager for Kane Winery on Spring Mountain in Napa. And, um, Kane was founded in the 1980s. Um, it's the the general manager and winemaker is Chris Howell. That we as a gentleman that we had a chance to go um, do a tasting with him at Kane and and visit the vineyards with him as well as with Ashley. And and first to to listen to Chris, he everything he doesn't say a word that doesn't have a purpose. He is very thoughtful. So he's kind of a a, a, a wine Yoda. He 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 really gets it. He was very, very interesting. I'm very uh, mm. it's the first time I've ever had a chance to meet him. But Ashley has been with the the winery since nineteen ninety nine. She arrived from from Michigan after going to school in New York and kind of always knew she either wanted to work with plants or animals, which I kind of just love that <laughs> that attitude. How about both? Um, yes. And she um because they did have a very good vineyard dog. But um, uh, she started working with Kane in '99, and she now manages a, a team of, I want to say, maybe ten workers. Not very many. They have um, they have about 90 acres planted on Spring Mountain, and on and their vineyard used to be a sheep farm, um, and it's it's very high elevation up over St. Helena, uh, very steep slopes. 
um, manual labor. You like this is hand picked fruit. This is hand managed fruit versus some of the valley floor vineyards that maybe you can use machines on. This is this. These are vines that have to be maintained by hand. And I just appreciated her approach to one how she works with with her team and and right now in, in Napa. Right, it's the season to prune the vines to get ready for the the next season's um, bud break and and the growing of of the grapes. And so we actually um, kind of went to to see some of the vineyards being pruned and that sort of thing and um kind of i appreciated their attitude at Kane of how they allow their group of workers basically work the exact same vines every every year and they they work the same vines from start to finish so those pretty old vines they they were planted yes they were um the the vineyards were planted gosh probably over they started planting after the canes bought them yeah. so and and obviously some have had to be replanted due to phylloxera i think that phylloxera as it hit um pretty much every vineyard in in the united states in the the 90s so certainly have had to to replant through the years um but they uh she as i was saying this these same workers work these same vines and so um their their team will almost take ownership over you know maybe these ten rows on this slope and then those ten rows on this slope and and that's their that's their their thing to manage and so um, her role is to make sure that that everything happens as it should but I I think it was just nice to know one that they have full time employees that are there all year and that that they've watched they have many of their their vineyard workers have been with them for over twenty years and some I. I want to say probably even even quite a bit more than that wow. that that you you do what you do for each individual vine because you've worked with them for so long. So maybe you'll 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 prune this vine this way because you 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 know what that vine is going to do versus the one next to you instead of just, you know, hiring a crew to come in and and kind of just um Harvest because yeah. you know because you're hired to har- harvest that. Yeah, day it's or, personalized, or, not generic. Yeah, and yeah. or you're going to prune this way because you're hired to prune it, and just kind of that ownership was something that that I really really appreciated, and I I, I really I just really liked her, and it was nice to see one her working with some of of the people on her crew because a few of them were out there, and and the care and 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 dedication that she showed was was really nice. Kane is great, and wine. then and then man, and then they, there's the wine. They make some really Really good wow. juice, yeah. Wow. Their their cane, uh, their cane five. We had a chance to taste a few vintages, and incredible, incredible, and and so much um, muscular and steely and minerally and very mineralic um, with with really intense fruit, really great um, kind of earthiness that that comes from that spring mountain fruit that I, I really just loved. Then kind of go the the opposite way and, and we had a chance to to spend some time with Cliff Letty, which you and I have spent time at Cliff Letty also yes, with I their, love their wine too. Their wines are beautiful. It's down in Stag's Leap. Um spent some time with Remy Cohen, who is their vice president and general manager, as well as their their winemaker that we tasted with, Chris Tynan, a, a few mm-hmm. years ago. Um Stag's Leap was, or Cliff Lighty was founded in Stag's Leap by the, the, he's an architect, a Canadian architect from Canada, Cliff Lighty. Um And in the, I want to say the early 2000, 2000, 
2010, maybe? I'm not sure exactly when it was founded. But um, Remy basically is a little firecracker fireball. And she arrived from um, New Jersey. She went to, she, but she's also kind of a brainiac because she's a doctor of, gen, of genetics from UC Berkeley. Wow. She has a degree in molecular and cellular biology. She um, did the viticulture and enology program at UC Davis. She has her master's degree. She has an MBA from Golden State. She's kind of a, she's she's like the real deal, but she wanted to work in the vineyard. She worked for Maryvale for a very long time, um, had her own viticulture consulting practice. And in 2010, um, after being introduced to Cliff Letty through David DeBruz, kind of who did the the vineyards for Cliff Letty and is kind of a, a Napa Valley icon for yeah, that's a big name. Yeah, for creating incredible vineyards, um, went to work with with the winery and um, she also again uh, the management of these vines is is so um, focused. They are all um, they're it's lead certified. It's um, sustainably farmed. And much more intense fruit. We tasted their. Um, we we tasted some of their their current releases, their songbook, and and just the Stag's Leap Cabernet. Big big wines. These are wines that have have time to age twenty years. Yeah. But um, but there's also such nuance, and I think that that's really the beauty of it. And to understand. That that everything that happens happens because of what's going on in the vineyard, because really once you get to the winery, it's just basically allowing the fruit to shine instead of really um, using so many different I don't know you know techniques that are available and and that that I think we're finding especially with these high end Napa Valley wineries that they they are allowing they've there was a time. In Napa, that you did throw, out, you know, you used every tool because the style was to make it bigger and and and, you know, let's have it oaky or let's have it let's have it as in your face as possible. And so to find that over time, as 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 the the style thankfully has been has pulled back from that, that you can still show the intensity and the the bold flavors of the fruit while or the vineyards while allowing the fruit really to shine instead of your oak to shine for instance it's a really exciting and and really both of these women were just were just fantastic and 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 great um i think they're 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 great women to to look up to for for how to grow in a, kind of another industry within napa you drink both of these wines watching 20th century women yeah absolutely yeah by the and by the way, if you can get a if you can get a, your hands on a bottle of any of these, <laughs> grab one. Drink yes. them well and let it sit open for just a little yeah, bit. I, absolutely, if yeah. you do, and these are wines that are meant to be aged, though. And I think yeah. that that's another thing that we we did kind of talk about a lot that we as, as um, consumers look to buy wines. The the art of aging wine doesn't really happen as much anymore. You don't lay wines down. You don't. You we. 
we buy wines when they're when they're released and we drink them shortly after. Yeah. So and you can see the industry going after that too. And and so it is something where if you're going to to open some of these, um, especially some of the more current uh, vintages of Napa Valley wines, you do want to let them breathe, decant them, you know, get some air into them yeah. just to help soften them up because they're they're big, but they're also great food wines. You know, these are these are wines that you want to eat with your big old ribeye and kind of call it a day. It goes well with a two hour movie. It goes well with a two hour movie. All right, nice hearing about the ladies that yeah, you've been talking to lately. It was hey, an exciting weekend. Next week on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, we're going to take a close look at this year's Oscar nominations for Best Documentary. And there are five of them, including the remarkable five-and-a-half-hour O.J. Made in America and Ava DuVernay's insightful look at the current prison system in America. And it's her assumption that it is a modern-day form of slavery. These are Oscar-nominated films, and they're great. They're great documentaries. Yep. I can't wait. Um, also, if you missed our Oscar event a few weeks ago, we had a great event um, the other night at the Arboretum, but yep. we're doing another one, and we would love to have anybody who's in the Dallas area come and join us. It's at the Studio Movie Grill on, on Royal Lane in Dallas on February 22nd. We'll have details on our website as well as on Facebook and um, through our Twitter, which is at Gary Cogill or at Dallas on Court. For details, we'd love to have you join us. I think it's going to be a really, really fun night. And basically, drinking wine, talking movies. Yeah, just spend the next couple hours with us doing this at the Studio Movie Grill on Royal Lane. It's going to be a good time. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.